Hi, you're about to get smarter in just a few minutes with Curiosity Daily from Curiosity.com. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you learn about the science of human-wildlife conflict with America's funniest science writer, Mary Roach. You'll also learn why it can be unhealthy to believe that leisure is a waste of time. Let's satisfy some curiosity. We share the planet with lots of different animals, and sometimes our habitats overlap. Luckily, there are experts who know how to handle these human-wildlife conflicts so that nobody gets hurt. And today's guest is here to tell us about them. Mary Roach has been called America's Funniest Science Writer, and she's the author of five best-selling nonfiction books, including her latest, Fuzz, When Nature Breaks the Law. And we asked her, what's a science writer doing writing about human-wildlife conflict? I mean, what does that even have to do with science? Well, it is a, it is a science, human-wildlife conflict, the science of, uh, it's essentially wildlife crime prevention. Like, what can we do to reduce these conflicts or resolve them once they start happening. So it's people looking at better ways to deter animals or like looking into, you know, building an overpass and then does that even work? And, or even in better, like highway planners deciding, you know, not to, maybe this isn't the best place to put a freeway that's gonna prevent these animals from migrating. Or sadly, in the past, it's meant developing a better rat poison, that kind of thing. So it's a hodgepodge of different branches of science, but it all kind of under the umbrella of human wildlife conflict is uh, typically what they call it. So, so it is a science. It's not, you know, it's not really a hard, there's some hard science in there, but it's kind of a, it's kind of an odd science. Yeah. Yeah. Is there, I mean, there has to be research on this, right? Oh yeah, there are textbooks and journals and, you know, the vertebrate pest conference. It's, it's kind of in its own way, uh, a big area and getting bigger because uh, there are, the conflicts aren't going away. I was so surprised to read about, you know, first bear encounters because that seems normal, right? I just moved to Asheville, North Carolina, and I see on social media all the time, people have, have videos of bears in their front yards and it's just all the time. But then you know, halfway across the world, they have elephant encounters. And that was something I never really thought about. So how, what kinds of different animal-human interactions are going on around the world? Oh my God, hundreds of them. But to stick to your example, yeah, here in the U.S. every year between zero and three people are killed by bears. In, in India, 500 people a year are killed by elephants, which was astounding to me having grown up with Babar and Dumbo, you know, they're just sort of goofy cartoon creatures. And I didn't really, I didn't really think of them as a threat to public safety. But yeah, I mean, I was kind of floored in India, spending time with this researcher. He mentioned there's enough problems with snow leopards, which I think of as like, there's only a handful and they're like way up in the mountains where no one's around. There's enough issues with them that there is an acronym, human snow leopard conflict. Like wow. that. Like enough of a problem that you felt like you needed an acronym. Uh, so anywhere you go, there's problems with species that you wouldn't, you as an American wouldn't imagine for sure. Right. I mean, yeah, we do think of elephants as so gentle. What what can they do? Why why do they come into humans' territories? Well, elephants um, they move across the north of India along. It's called the Elephant Corridor. And they are moving along looking for food. And that corridor over the years has been kind of broken up and 
reduced. Uh, the land has been reduced as there's military installations have gone in and roads have been built and, you know, settlements of refugees. So the elephants tend to get, they call it pocketed. They're pocketed elephants, which I love because I like picturing an elephant in a pocket is really kind of a bizarre image. <laughs> but they, so when they get stuck in a, in a, in an area of land, I mean, they travel in groups, you know, they're a social creature and they eat a lot of food. They're big animals and they eat a lot of vegetation. So when there's not enough, not enough of the food that they normally eat, they'll start to turn to the villagers' crops. So there's a lot of instances of them coming in at night. And, you know, eight elephants can just pretty much wipe out a season's work. And these are people who depend on this food to survive. So you have these situations where they, somebody sees the elephant, they start yelling, people come out, it's dark, somebody's got a, you know, a burning stick, somebody else is shouting. And the elephants, when you freak them out and they, they sort of scatter, now they feel very threatened. Like in a herd, they feel a little bit safer. So there's ways to safely deal with elephants. But if the villagers haven't been trained, if they don't have an elephant response team, there's people running around screaming in the dark, large animals, very large animals running around. People get trampled, people get knocked over, and people get killed. And uh, if you add in the fact that sometimes people are drunk and they think that they can take on 18 elephants, as one guy actually did try to do and didn't survive, uh, this is a, a bad situation. Yeah. Wait, so, is an elephant response team a thing? Yes, it is a thing. I, I traveled with this researcher who goes into villages and recruits people to be part of the elephant response team. So there are people who they travel in a truck because it's a lot safer to be in a vehicle than to be running around on foot when there's you know eight or 10 elephants in the area. So they know that they want to kind of herd them as a group, kind of encourage them away from the village, back towards the woods. So they're, you know, they're kind of working like sheepdogs in a way, sort of keeping the the herd together and encouraging it to leave without completely freaking it out. You don't want panicked elephants running around near you. So yeah, it is a thing. And and the other thing that they're, as much as they're working with the elephants, they're working with the people in the village to encourage them not to try to do this on their own, not to run out with a flaming stick or, you know, a, a poker stick or whatever they're, they think is the best thing to do. They encourage them to call the elephant response team. They've got, like, they text the guy, like, we got elephants coming in. Can you get over here? You know, and they're supposed to stay indoors till then. So there's ways to be safer, you know, when you're, you live in elephant territory. Who are you going to call? The Elephant Response Team. Again, that was Mary Roach, author of the new book, Fuzz, When Nature Breaks the Law. And Mary will be back tomorrow to talk about some simple solutions for dealing with everyday wildlife woes. It can seem impossible to achieve work-life balance, especially in America, where hustle culture discourages relaxation. That culture is so ingrained that many people believe that taking a break to have fun is a waste of time. According to new research, people who believe that actually end up enjoying leisure less. If that's you, never fear, there may be a fix. For a study, researchers from Rutgers University, The Ohio State University, and Harvard had 141 students fill out surveys. They had to rate how strongly they agreed with statements saying that hobbies are a waste of time. In the middle of these boring tasks, they got to watch a popular cat video and rated how much they enjoyed it. The students who felt leisure time wasn't worthwhile didn't enjoy the videos as much. 
To dig into these results a bit more, the researchers did a follow-up study where they had students rate how much they enjoyed different leisure activities. Some were more active, like exercise, or passive, like relaxing, and others were more social or solitary. The survey also asked questions about their mental health, things like happiness, depression, anxiety, and stress. Those who felt leisure time was wasteful said they enjoyed every activity less overall. They also reported having poorer mental health. The team wanted to know whether this was a uniquely American viewpoint, so they surveyed participants from France, where leisure is highly valued, and India, where work ethic is even more prized than in the U.S. Consistent with prevailing stereotypes, fewer French people felt that leisure time was a waste compared to the work-oriented Americans, and fewer Americans believed it than Indians. Even still, the French folk who did show disdain for leisure were just as likely to find it unpleasant and to be anxious or depressed. Now, I did say there's a fix. And it comes down to an additional survey the researchers did where they asked people how they had celebrated Halloween. Those with a negative view of leisure time preferred activities that felt productive or fulfilled responsibilities, like exercising or trick-or-treating with their kids. In the end, the researchers suggested that if rise-and-grind types can reframe leisure activities as helping them work toward a goal, they might benefit. Maybe think of watching TV as a way to stay updated on pop culture, or hanging with friends as a way to keep those bonds strong. You can also pursue actually goal-oriented hobbies like learning a language. The key is to put reason behind your recreation. Let's do a quick recap of what we learned today, Ashley. Well, we learned from Mary Roach that there's a lot of science that goes into figuring out how to resolve human-wildlife conflict. And that's partly because it happens everywhere in the world. Here in the U.S., no more than a few people are killed by bears each year. But in India, there are so many problems with snow leopards, there's an acronym for human-snow leopard conflict. India also has elephant response teams that help herd elephants away from villages and teach the people in those communities what to do when confronting them. It's a wild world out there. Literally. We also learned that if you believe that leisure is a waste of time, then you probably have a hard time enjoying the fun you do have. People in work-oriented cultures like the U.S. and India are more likely to hold these beliefs than leisure-loving cultures like France. Now, if this is you, try reframing fun activities by thinking about how they fulfill certain goals, like helping you bond with your friends or keeping your mental health intact. I told my wife about this story and she asked, isn't that kind of a tautology? Which is basically saying the same thing twice in different words, kind of a little bit redundant. Like if you can't enjoy leisure, then of course, aren't you a less happy person? But then I pointed out that I'm a very happy person. And when I met her, She had to work very hard to get it out of my head that when I played video games or watched a certain show, that it wasn't a waste of time. Like I have had significant problems with this in my adult life. And if you're listening and you have a hard time staying in the moment with this stuff, just remember that leisure is really, really important. I will say that in my early adult life, I was taking improv classes at Second City and I had Michael Gelman as an instructor great guy. He was Bill Murray's understudy back when they performed in the Second City stage, whatever, decades ago. And Gilman said, if you get a suggestion from the crowd, you need to know what that suggestion means. 
if you're a performer and you say, give me a suggestion as a location, and someone says the Art Institute of Chicago, then you better have been to the Art Institute of Chicago, etc. So his whole thing allowed me to frame every single experience I had as being kind of productive. I remember I watched all of Lost just because at the time, Lost was a hyper popular TV show. Everybody was talking about it. And people would say on stage, give me a suggestion of a TV show. And if someone shouted out Lost, I would have no idea what to say. I would be lost as it were. So I watched seven seasons of a TV show and was able to justify it as something productive because it was. And recently I have felt myself straying a little bit too much into the leisure category at times. So what I'm doing now is while I grind out levels in a Final Fantasy game, I'll also listen to podcasts during that time or have a YouTube video on in the background. So there are ways to incorporate quote unquote being productive in your leisure time. Not that it should be a necessity, but it can help you reframe the way you spend your time so that you feel less bad about it because you shouldn't feel bad about having a good time. This is like really important to me because it, it, it was a serious issue for a really long time. And uh, I am really thankful for my wife like every day that she, she would like tell me, I'd say, I want to play video games, but I, there's all this other stuff I should do. She would be like, play video games. It's what you want to do. It's like a thing you want to do right now. And it like, she's helped me like, just like be happy, I guess. So find someone like that. <laughs> None of my other advice helps. Good. The writer for today's mental health story was Steffi Drucker. Our managing editor is Ashley Hamer, who is also an audio editor on today's episode. Our producer and lead audio editor is Cody Goff. Listening to this podcast was pretty productive, so now do whatever you want. And join us again tomorrow to learn something new in just a few minutes. And until then, stay curious. 